0: Well, good morning. Uh, I wanted to say hello if you are new and haven't had a chance to speak to you yet. Um, hello. I'm going to be at the booth right across the um, hall after the service is over. would love to, to say hi, introduce myself if this is your first time. Uh, if you are also new and um, or a regular but haven't heard about this yet, uh, I am putting my sermon notes on the on our app. Uh, it's on the homepage of our app, so if um, you have problem, challenge following me, you're like, I, I get lost sometimes because uh, you're, you're in an English-speaking church that it's not your primary language and it can be challenging to follow, um, I realize, uh, this is a great place you can just open that up and scroll along uh, with me. It might help you to be able to uh, make some more sense of what I'm saying, um, or it might confuse you because I may not make sense, but, uh, but it's there for you either way. It's also available for anyone who's in community group. You can use that to um, just help prep for your community group each week. We are, as has been shared in a series through John, and um, talk about the new birth today. One of the things that I uh, love around COA is the children. Uh, if, you, if you've seen me, you know that I love, I love the kids. I love to see, uh, to meet them for the first time. I love to see them grow up. Uh, we have kids who were born at COA now who are uh, well into elementary school um, into and, and some who are coming close to youth group. Um, so really uh, incredible thing. But one of the things that you know happens, uh, well, and I think about after COVID, I think I met about eight or 10 new babies for the first time. And some of them were like a year old or 14 months old, but uh, it was great meeting them. Uh, and one of the things that you, know, you ask when you, when you see a new mom or dad is like, you know, how did how'd everything go? How'd the birth go? Um, and if men were had to carry children, it would go something like this. It was the most painful, horrible experience any human being could have. And there would be a lot of one-child households. Um, but because God designed women <laughs> with a strength that I just—I I, admit—I don't have, um, there's uh, women who will—they just graciously smile and they say, you know, labor lasted. 36 hours and, you know, and, you know, and, or someone was like, yeah, you know, I started having uh, contractions, went to the hospital 10 minutes later, there's a baby, you know. Uh, it's, it's always different. Nobody ever has the exact same story of how the baby entered uh, the world. Um, but sure enough, there he or she is as evidence that, that they came and when you talk about the new birth or, or being born again or, or new life that comes in Christ, it's very similar in that I've seen such a range of experiences. Uh, I've seen people who have come into the the family very radically, very quickly, very emotionally, and then um, others, it's a very steady sort of gradual, and they just kind of wake up one day and realize that they believe. And it wasn't this massive lightning bolt light switch um, but the, the, the fact is they experienced that new birth along the way somewhere, um, but it was just a very steady, slow uh, new birth. And this is what we're really um, gonna be talking about uh, today. In our passage, Jesus introduces the idea of being born again or the new birth as a prerequisite to being part of God's eternal kingdom. And in verse three, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And when Jesus says, truly, truly, what do you think he's emphasizing here? He's saying, this is an absolute reality. I don't want you to just hear me say it. I don't even want you to hear me say, truly, blank. He's emphasizing this is a reality that all of us have to deal with. All of us have to understand. So we'll look at this by walking through some questions. Uh, Who is it for this new birth? Where is it from? What does it do? How does it come and how can you tell? And I want to give uh, credit to uh, Tim Keller for the sermon outline. Uh, honestly, a lot of times when I preach a passage like this, I can get, there's so much here. Just to be honest, there's so much here that I could get bogged down in sort of my teaching style. Uh, and it was helpful for me to see his, his way of kind of stepping back and, and, and inquiring of the text through some questions. And so I uh, just wanted to give credit to him for the outline. Uh, so let's ask, who is it for? Well, if you don't come from a church background, the term born again may bring up ideas in your mind. It may bring up the ideas of um, someone who was addicted to drugs or out of control, and they were born again, right? And you hear the story of this radical transformation. Maybe they were in prison even, and they were born again. And so there's this radical, the idea that this is, this is for a person who really radically goes through a different uh, a salvation and then uh, for other people, you might think about athletes. If you've been around a long time, you might think about athletes who even describe themselves as born-again, or politicians, believe it or not, th- would describe themselves as born-again Christians. Uh, and so it becomes this category of like, you know, kind of, <coughs> excuse me, conservative Christian over here, they're born again, and then the other Christians are over here. Um, and that and that's one way we also think about it. The other one is, is just the... Um, is maybe a particularly emotional expression or someone who's given to, um, you know, high, uh, like passionate moments and uh, sensationalism, and they are born again. And so that's the way they connect with God. Uh, But if we all put that aside and look at what Jesus actually says here, the necessity of being born again is for all people, not just for uh, people who are addicted or in prison or what we might look at in some ways as bad people, and it's not for a particular sect or group of, of, of conservative people, and it's not for people who are particularly emotional or given over to sensationalism. Uh, it is for all people. And one of the reasons we know this is because of this, this passage, which is the first of four, <coughs> excuse me, the first of four where Jesus talks to people in, in John 3 through 5. He engages Nicodemus here, who's the religious seeker, and then the next uh, section is uh, John chapter 4. He meets the woman at the well, who represents the marginalized. Then he, um, he, he heals a, a, a local official's son. He represents the desperate. And then finally, the man at the pool in Siloam in John 5 is, is those who are forgotten uh, in our society. And these are all meant to help us to understand who Jesus is and what he's doing. But it's really interesting that this context, this story of who about being born again and new life does not come in the context of someone we would look at and think, man, that dude needs this. Look at his life. He desperately needs Jesus. Now, in fact, uh, we would look at him today and think he was a terrible candidate to be born again. Why? Because he was a good, moral, upright Teacher of the law, he would have been the last person we would think um, should be born. Needs to be born again. He was a Pharisee belonging to the strictest sect of Judaism. They were um, they were hyper vigilant in studying the Old Testament law. Certainly, as a as a chief rabbi of his time, he had massive sections of the Old Testament memorized. And the Old Testament law, certainly the first five books, memorized. He would have been seen as a as a, a moral leader in the community and, um, and would have been respected by all. He was part of what was called the Sanhedrin, which was a high court for um, all matters related to uh, Jewish life and culture. And it was set, only 70 men in the city of Jerusalem were on that uh, court. And so he represented, uh, in many ways, maybe the most, one of the most righteous people you could meet during that time. Again, if we were to meet him today, we would respect him. We would think, here's a good guy. Here's an upstanding guy. Here's a very moral guy. Here's a guy who is following God's laws and seeking to follow God. But Jesus doesn't look at him and say, you know, Nick, you're doing pretty good, man. I gotta admit, man. That whole memorizing those first five books—that's pretty good, dude. And then you—you know—you—you've you, tried to like, you know, uh, live under moral, you know, framework with your life. You don't have out-of-control sins. You're married. You're faithful to your wife. Like all of this, like, dude, you're—you're you're a good guy. You, right, let me just help you over the line. No, he looks at this guy and says, "You've got to be born again. You have to have an entirely." New life. So, who is this for? Well, it's for everyone. Even Nicodemus, who came to Jesus and, and called him rabbi, which is a term of respect. It's it Basically, by calling Jesus rabbi, even though he had no formal training that, that anyone knew about, at least, uh, that he himself was saying, You are equal with me. So, he came to him with such respect, and yet, Jesus says, You need to be born again. Nicodemus was not an emotional person. He was not looking for a new spiritual high. He certainly didn't need some radical conversion. But he did, like every human being in this room and every human being in this city, need eternal life through a new birth. Jesus said, Unless you are born again, you cannot see. The kingdom of God. He's saying that none of your moral performance, none of your behavior, none of the good things that you've done actually get you there. It is only through this new life. The flip side to this is if Nicodemus needed it and, and, and it's available to him, it's also available to anyone, even that person who is drug addicted, who is in bondage. Uh, it, it's available to, the, to everyone in between. The beauty of the new life, uh, new birth, is it is available to all. And indeed, it's necessary for all. Not just the irreligious person who outwardly seems to have ruined their life, but also the upright and respected <coughs> community leader. I get asked sometimes, um, well, what about, you know, I know so-and-so, they don't go to church, they don't believe in God, they're a really super moral person, they're nice and they're good in their community and they, they help other people and they serve and they give some of their money away, um, you know, God, you know am I, how am I going to tell them They're, you know, they, they need to be born again? Well, Jesus told Nicodemus, and I would hold Nicodemus up against your friend. At least he was already on God's team in the sense of he was actually trying to follow God. And yet, that wasn't enough. That wasn't enough for Jesus to affirm him and say, dude, you're close enough. You're good. You got a good life. I, I don't want to mess with what you got going on over here. The truth is, every person needs it. New life is for the religious and the irreligious, the morally bankrupt and the morally upright, for the highly emotional person and for the cerebral and reserved person. Amen? So Jesus says everyone must be born again. Who is it for? Everyone. Secondly, where is it from? Now, it's hinted at in this text, but it's really filled out in the rest of the New Testament, but I don't want to miss that a a repeated phrase that Jesus uses here in verses three through three and five truly truly I say to you unless one is born again he cannot see the kingdom of God truly truly I say to you unless one is born of water and the spirit he cannot enter the kingdom of God do you see the phrase he uses there at the end of both the kingdom of God while John doesn't mention this much, in fact, John mentions it way less than any of the other three Gospels, and this is only one of like a couple of places that he, he, he references it. Um, but there's no doubt speaking the kingdom of God to to uh, Nicodemus would have said would have would have brought images. He would have thought about the future time when God would break into this world, being led by His Messiah, and bring eternal judgment on those who have rejected Him and eternal life to those who followed him. It would have been in some ways similar to to the way we would think about God coming in and setting up his rule and reign. But um, that's the future. And Jesus says that, that in fact, you can't see that unless now you are born again. He doesn't say there's something that has to happen to you in the future. There's something that has to happen to you now. Jesus is reframing things here. When he speaks about the kingdom, he isn't just speaking about some far off day, but the here and now. In Luke 17, verse 20 and 21, he says, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them. The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look here, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. So the kingdom of God is not simply some future reality that's way off out there, but it is something that is invading the here and now. It's not just when Jesus uh, rules and reigns and abolishes death and suffering and sorrow and ushers in peace and and, uh, shalom in creation. Jesus says the kingdom of God is in the midst of you here. It's the future breaking into the present. Titus chapter 3 verses 5 and 6, Paul speaks about this Um, about the new birth he says he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the holy spirit whom he poured out uh, on us richly through jesus christ our savior regeneration is a language of being made entirely new it is it is what you would think something is regenerated it is made over again and he doesn't describe that as a future reality does he he says he has Saved us by washing of regeneration and renewal. So where does the new birth come from? The future. It's the future breaking into the present. I I love time travel movies. Um, They're a lot of fun. I I generally like sci-fi. But uh, Back to the Future was the first for me, right? I don't know if anybody, um, that, that that was back in my time. So um, I, I know if you haven't seen it, you should. It's kind of a classic. Uh, at least you'll understand some references, pop culture references that, that go back to it. Um, but you know, in the story, I'm not gonna, I mean, if you haven't seen it, I, I hate to give it away, but uh, <laughs> Marty, what does he have to do? He has to take the DeLorean. He has to adjust the flex capacitor. He has, has to go back into the past and he has to change the circumstances with his parents while they were in high school together. Because otherwise, Marty and his family would perish. So we had to go back into the past so that the present, he would not perish. The kingdom of God is the future coming back into the present to give us life so we do not perish. It's setting us on a trajectory, but it's the future actually breaking into the present. This picks up on the theme of John so far, if you remember. How does the gospel of John begin? In the beginning, right? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. It's a new creation. You've heard me emphasize this if you've been with us, and if you haven't, I encourage you to go back and listen. There's been a couple of messages really on this idea. Jesus is bringing in a new creation, but he's not not unrolling the whole thing right now, because at that point, anybody who's not had the new birth is done. But he is allowing the new creation to break into the present to invade this world, to bring the kingdom of God, to spread the new creation into this world. It's a very real way Jesus is telling us that to be born again is to experience the new creation in you. And that's why the new birth is transformative. If you look in the gospels and you see the new birth, you look at guys like Peter who were you know, Im- <clears throat> excuse me, impetuous and unthoughtful. And Paul, who was arrogant and hard and controlling and harsh, and yet both of them experienced this new birth and both of them were radically changed as people. The new birth is transformative because <clears throat> it begins to move someone towards that new creation, the, the full experience of the new creation. It isn't just a religious experience. If you're not a Christian, I want you to hear that. The people you're looking at in this room that are following Jesus didn't decide on a new religious system to follow. We very much across this room would testify and share with you at at some point in our lives, experiencing or realizing we have experienced a new birth, a birth to a new reality. So where does it come from? The new birth is the future kingdom breaking into the human heart. Thirdly, what does it do? As we've seen, it's the life of God <clears throat> being implanted in the human heart. Now, one of the real interpretive challenges in this passage is comes, comes in verse 5, where Jesus said you have to be born of water and the Spirit. I don't know if you read that, studied that, or thought about that, but that's kind of hard because the, the first thought is water means what? Baptism. Baptism right? It must mean you have to be baptized. But that's not what that actually means, because there's no other reference to baptism in this passage. And if it is baptism, then it means you have to experience new birth in the Holy Spirit, and you better get baptized, or you're not actually a new believer. You're not actually have experienced that new life yet. So it's not baptism, but it is picking up on imagery of, of the Old Testament, of the idea of the Holy Spirit baptizing us into the family of God. So in the moment of conversion, um, the, 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 the Holy Spirit comes and pours himself on us, in us, and through us. Isaiah 43, 44 verse 3 says it this way, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring, my blessings Blessing on your descendant. So the spirit's poured out on a person at new birth, and one of the ideas around this—and I'm not going to go into details about this—but when a baby is born, a healthy child is completely immersed in an amniotic fluid, right? And so birth is has that idea of immersion in it, and so the spirit immerses us into the new life in Christ. That new life comes. And it's a picture of the of a new birth. So, what does this uh, new birth do in the life of a person? A couple things. It changes our perceptions and it changes our identity. New perceptions. They happen, right? Like uh, the difference between a baby's life in the womb and a baby's life in the real world is pretty drastic. Up to that point, all they've heard is been filtered through the the the, the wall of the womb, right? And and their and their mother's body. And all they've seen is has been filtered through all of that and, and all they've touched is related to that. And now they entered a world where there is light and sound and feeling and, and, and temperature variations and all of this. It's literally an entirely new world that opens up for someone. And it's interesting that uh, I can't tell you how many times over my years of ministry, countless times, people have talked about how, how their perceptions have changed <laughs> when they became a Christian, when they, when they began to see the truth, when they began to understand new realities. It wasn't like those things weren't there before. Listen, I, I had a guy who sat in my last church, and I remember this to this day. He's probably, he's gotta be in his 70s now. Um, but he, he was, you know, late 50s at that point, I think, sitting in a church he had grown up in. He literally was there almost every single Sunday of his entire life. And he's 58 years old and God broke through and radically altered his life. Opened up his perceptions. He had, it wasn't like those things weren't there. They were there. The reality of Jesus was interesting to him, maybe a little comforting to him. But then it became real to him. Real as in, he now preaches the gospel in prisons. He's a lay preacher. And he loves to share this story with others of what Jesus did to him. And he would say, I just sat there, and I had eyes to see, but could not see. And I had ears to hear, but I could not hear. But then one day, the Spirit made me new, and I saw it all for the first time. This is the part Jesus means when he says, verse eight, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. The spirit's blowing. I I know this. I have great faith he is. He's blowing and moving in this room right now. He's moving. There's, you know, 250 people here today. And there are certainly people that are experiencing the spirit in different ways today. Some of you have just been coming for a while and none of this really makes sense. You're interested, you're curious, and I'm glad, and I want you to keep coming because that's how it begins to make sense. And maybe you're one of those people that it's gradual. But for others of you, it's you're seeing things more clearly day by day. I love John Piper on this. just an incredible description. He says, When God called you, you were in a real sense asleep in your bed. Into your bedroom came Jesus Christ. He stood there in the glory of his Calvary love and resurrection power, but you were asleep. In fact, you were dreaming. And in the dream in which which is your ordinary life, you saw Jesus. Only the dream in the dream <coughs> it looked foolish. He wasn't attractive. You wondered why others made such a big deal out of him. In the dream, your television was more exciting, your boyfriend was more exciting, the job was more exciting. When the Holy Spirit came into your bedroom where Jesus was standing in the glory of his Calvary love and resurrection power, and the Spirit hovered over your dreaming head and called in a voice just loud enough, wake up, and it shook you, and you opened your eyes, and there before you stood the real Jesus Christ, and his glory was unmistakable, and you knew that all your life you'd been dreaming that all your thoughts about his being foolish and unreal and unattractive were mere fantasies and empty images of sleeping mind. But now the veil of slumber was lifted and the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ was irresistibly true. Christ crucified was now for you what it really is, the power of God and the wisdom of God. That's what it means to be called. That's the new birth. And you can't make yourself experience it. We're going to talk about some ways you can sort of move in that direction, but, but you can't make yourself born again any more than you can make yourself born the first time. So there's new perceptions. Along with that come a new identity. We've already seen this in John 1, John 1, 12. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Notice the language, rights of the children of God. The new birth into a family brings the rights of that family. You gotta think about Nicodemus, because up to this point, Nicodemus, who who, who Jesus is engaging about this, thought that the relationship with God and having a part in the kingdom of God was about being born into the right family in this world. And Jesus is now telling him, it's not about the family you're born into in this world. It's about the new family you're born into in eternity. And so he's 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 uh, he's teasing this out for us to help us to see um, your family can't help you with this. Different cultures, your your sense of identity and uh, and sense of, of self and sense of worth are, come from your family, right? You you have a strong family identity, and the way you grow up, you, you your identity from a young child is tied to how that family's perceived. And then you contribute to the name of that family and the good of that family, right? That's a lot of pressure. And then on the flip side, here in the West, it doesn't matter what family you're born into because you get to decide your complete identity. It is a malleable, it's like you're born with a, with a little container of Play-Doh and then it's your job to spend your life just shaping that into an identity. That's a lot of pressure. And Jesus says, you don't get your identity from either one of those. You get your identity from your new family in Christ. You're a new identity. It's something outside of you that comes into you. The rights of the children of God are the root of the new identity. You're loved by by your father. He delights in you. He has uh, invited you in. He's given you the rights and privilege of a child of, of, of him. He's not just the ruler and king of the universe. He's your father. He's your heavenly father who loves you and has caused you to be born again into his family. Tim Keller said, your identity is received, not achieved. Think about how liberating that is. I mean, honestly, what, what identity are you going to pursue in this world that's going to even be remotely on par with being a child of the God of the universe? going to get that big promotion, get those extra letters behind your name, Right? That only lasts for a little while. This lasts forever. You've been invited in by an infinite God to relate to him as one of his kids, one of his delight, beloved daughters, beloved sons. What an amazing invitation. What does new new birth do? It gives us new perceptions and a new identity. Finally, uh, last couple questions here. How does it come? It comes by the Spirit. But does it happen randomly? Is it like, is it like you know, when you're, when you're watching popcorn pop, is it like poof, 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 just random kernels going off and, and the spirit just, you know, randomly goes around the room? No, there, there, there are things that happen. There are things that, that, that are our perception of what is happening in the same moment that the spirit is at work. So the invitation is, is to all of us. He doesn't just say, hey guys, sit back. And just hope that the spirit comes. (laughs) No. How did Jesus begin his ministry in the gospel of Mark? Look at Mark 1.15. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. He's inviting us. We can't make ourselves new, new, new birth. We can't make ourselves experience new life. But we can repent from our sins and turn towards him and believe. Repenting is turning away from your rebellion against God. It is turning away against the sin that you know lies deep in your heart. It is recognizing that you and I, me too, are implicated in what Jesus said in verse 19. People love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Now again, I know you're, think about it. He he just said this to Nicodemus. So if you're feeling offended, welcome. Nicodemus certainly felt offended by this. But let me just give you a little thought experiment to help you show exactly how evil you are. Uh, me too. Okay, I, I I wouldn't want this to happen. If we had somehow the ability, and maybe someday we will, the technology, be able to read all of your thoughts for the last week, and we could we could just and we just said, hey, right now, for the next 15 minutes, we're going to look at uh, look at a quick overview of your thoughts. Would you stay in this room? No, you would not. That's just your thoughts, let alone your actions and words and the things you left undone, the good you should have done but did not do. I'm not saying we are worthless people. That's very different than saying we've sinned. No, we we are worth a lot because we're one, made in the image of God. And secondly, God sent his son to die to redeem us. He paid a price for you. So you can sit over here and kind of cobble together your own righteousness and and tell yourself you're a really good person, pretty good person. Look at all those people that are worse than me. Look at those people in that other political party. They're so bad and I'm so good, right? Like we can do that, but God sees past all that. You may convince yourself, you may convince people around you, but Jesus, Jesus calls us out in verse 19. So repentance is turning away from your bad deeds, but it's also turning away from your bad motivations for your good deeds, which, by the way, is also what gets us. You know, Jesus' words for the Pharisees is not, hey, guys, you just do a bunch of evil stuff all the time. You're just the most evil people. All your actions are evil. Everything you do is evil. He says, guys, you do it for the wrong reason. You do these good things. You give money at the temple. You go and worship. You, do and, you study the law. You do all of these things. He's not saying those are wrong. He's saying the reason you're doing those things is wrong. And so Jesus cares about our motivations as well. By the way, this is also why the new birth can't just be some superficial change. This isn't morality. It's not an invitation to get your life together. It's a new birth that happens internally that changes our lives. So how does it come? We repent, Jesus says, and then believe. And we see this in verses 14 uh, all the way through 16, but 14 and 15 is a weird reference if you don't know the Old Testament at all. It says, Jesus says, and Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. So must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, if you know the story, God's people were wandering in the Old Testament and as it had been their habit since they left, left Egypt, and God had freed them and brought them out of Egypt. They were either complaining or sinning. It was their hobby, and you know the hobbies they had. What are we gonna complain today? Or are we gonna sin? Which one do we wanna do? Um, and so they, they were, they, they were um, full on losing it, and God said, I can't have my people do this. You are called by my name. The nations are looking at you, and you are losing your mind. I have to bring you back. I'm going to send these serpents. They're going to bite you. And they're gonna kill people to show you how serious sin is. And so he sends serpents among his people, but he doesn't just like send judgment. He tells Moses, build a rod. I want you to make a bronze serpent on that rod. And I want you to hold that rod up. People aren't gonna be able to make it over to the rod, but if they will look at that rod by faith, believing that I have provided that, then then the serpent bites won't kill them. They'll still get bit. That's interesting thing about the text. It doesn't say that the snakes won't bite you anymore. It just says the poison won't kill you. So the poison is sin, right? The poison that was invading and causing the judgment was sin. But Jesus was lifted up on the cross just as the serpent was lifted up. And whoever will look, look upon Jesus. Not get your act together, not straighten some things out, Not work on yourself, but look. That's pretty low threshold, isn't it? (laughs) Look. Look on Jesus is believing on him. That's what verse 16, maybe the most famous verse in the entire Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And that's it, looking upon Jesus there's no contribution to it. You didn't didn't make the serpent on the stick. You didn't have the idea of it. You didn't empower it. But you look upon it and by looking upon it, beholding it, trusting it, you experience new birth. You don't help yourself into the new birth. No baby helped themselves be born, right? I'm not aware of any record in history of of a baby like contributing to to its birth, right? It just happens. And, and just as your um, mother helped you be born into this world, your heavenly father comes and helps you to be born again into the next. You don't contribute, but you can look. You can repent and you can believe. So how can you tell? How can you tell a baby's been born? Anybody? Anybody? How can you, when you see a baby, how do you know? right cuz it's a baby we don't have that science yet i hope we never do but that baby was born <coughs> and so when you discover a christian you discover even yourself that you have you have new life for the first time you you realize you've been born again you can know that it happened you can know that at some point along the way god helped you into his kingdom he regenerated your heart there's newness of life there's there there's one sign of of new babies. Um, they all grow, right? If they're healthy, they grow. And so how can you tell if someone has been born again, the New Testament and theologians throughout church history have pointed to this this one simple idea? There's real change. And listen, I've met people, and there's a parable of the soils. If you know Jesus' parable of the soils, there's four soils, a couple of them spring up, a couple of them. Looks like the seeds germinate and they spring up, but the, either they're on the rocky soil and so they get burned up very quickly or they grow up among thorns and, and, and thistles and they die off because they are choked out. Choked out. I'm not talking about like immediate in a moment because I think people can do that. I think the parable would suggest people can experience like immediate changes. But if a month, two months, six months, a year later there's real changes in your life. There's a trajectory of your life of growth that's different. That's evidence. That's why 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Literally, it says, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. So the new birth is being born into the new creation. And I love Nicodemus' story. He doesn't openly profess Jesus here. There's no evidence of that. There's no evidence of actually him openly professing Jesus anywhere. But there are some things that would suggest he, he certainly, there were some changes, some trajectory that would hint strongly at the idea that maybe he became a Christian. In chapter seven of John, we'll see just in a little while where he stands up against the Sanhedrin who are ready to judge Jesus. And he says, Will we, should we judge anyone without a fair trial? so rather than going along with the crowd he stands up for justice in that moment and then later after jesus is crucified he and joseph of arimathea who they think was another member of the sanhedrin provided a burial they identified with christ and his death literally shamefully helping to care for him where the people who had killed him were the were the sanhedrin were the the pharisees the religious leaders and they said we we this man has, we love this man he has dignity and value and worth and and his death is uh, he deserves to be given a a proper burial at our cost subsequent non-biblical accounts profess to telling of his baptism his suffering as a believer and his final expulsion from the city of Jerusalem for the sake of Christ again not saying he's definitely a Christian I don't know I, the text doesn't tell us so I can't we can't say that but but you see the trajectory that would suggest it. That's the difference that Christ makes, the new life, new birth makes. I remember experiencing this when I was in um, my freshman year in college. If, if you're newer at the church, my, my high school years, I was out of control. Flunked seven classes, didn't graduate from high school on time. Um, I, I was just out of control. I was impulsive. Um, I was insecure, but boastful. That's a beautiful combination. Um <laughs> I was, I, 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 I tried to prove myself, tried to make myself uh, seem cool. I, I was looking for an identity, couldn't find one. And yet my freshman year in college, I, and I, by the way, I had to go to church through high school my parents made me go. So I was literally sitting out there every single Sunday and it was like, it was like the free pastor was Charlie Brown's teacher. You know, wah, 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 wah. Don't remember any of it. Except the one Sunday he preached on sex. Um, <laughs> that caught my attention. Um, <laughs> but but I, I got to college, and now all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I, I want to read the Bible. Like, I want to read it. I, not because I'm supposed to. You're a Christian now. You're supposed to read the Bible. I, I wanted to read it. I wanted to talk to other people about Jesus all the time. I, I couldn't get over what he had done for me as I was experiencing Freedom from guilt, freedom from shame, freedom from my insecurities. And there was radical, immediate change. So that I, and the, and the, why I tell you, some of you experienced this gradually over time, is all, I can't tell you a day or even a month. I just know my first semester in college, I went to college not believing in Jesus. And by the time I came home for Christmas break, I had experienced the new birth so much so that my parents and everyone I talked to Said, you're different. That's the new birth. That's the invitation. And the beauty of it today is wherever you are, whether you're like me and out of control or whether you've got your life like really, you know, you've got the next three years planned out on your calendar, you know? Like if that's you, it doesn't matter. The invitation to experience the new birth is free to anyone. And, and it's an invitation to, to be be done with the old self. The things that you ultimately hate about yourself, the things that ultimately you know that you do that aren't good for you, the things that you know that, that, that short circuit your life, that keep you from being what you kind of know you're supposed to be and the way you want to live, those are the things that Christ is going to take. You are, Paul said, I was crucified with Christ. I no longer live but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the new birth. And today, if, that, if you've never experienced that, I wanna invite you. Jesus invited Nicodemus, so I wanna invite you to experience that new birth. And you're like, I don't know what to do. Well, I, we talked about repenting and believing, but I think a very simple way you can, begin that process is actually just praying to jesus i mean if this new birth is real and this new creation is real and it's coming and you want that you want to be a part of that you want to be free from your guilt and your shame and your sin then like ask jesus during this next song just close your eyes don't sing the words close your eyes and just pray and say jesus if if this new life new creation new birth is real Can you help me to experience it? Would you come? And I believe he will. He may not come at this moment. Sometimes he he will. We've had people in the service do that. But you keep seeking him. And I promise, Jesus said, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. If If you are a Christian today, you've experienced that new birth. Some point in your life, remember it. Dig that thing back up. Remember what Jesus did for you because this world will numb you to it. It wants to numb you to it. It wants you to forget. It wants you to think your current problems are too big. Your current situation is too much that, that oh, you're still got to struggle with this sin and you're just a terrible Christian. None of those things are what made you a new, new creation. The new birth does. And yes, you're gonna struggle. Yes, you're going to fight against sin. Jesus never promised that this world's going to be, you know, flying across the air and and never being touched by anything. No, you're going to struggle. But today, I think he wants to remind you that you belong to him. He has given you new life. And in a moment, we're going to take take communion, communion as the meal of the kingdom. It's literally a, a backwards looking meal at what Jesus did, but it's also anticipating the new kingdom where we will feast with him in the new heavens and new earth and so take a few moments you need to prepare yourself if you're a christian and and uh you can step out anytime over this next song and take communion at one of the stations if you're not a christian you're not sure where you are you haven't experienced that new birth Please don't take communion like i'm not trying to be mean i'm saying that you need to take christ christ is is what you need to take communion is, is is for those who have taken It's the reminder of that. You shouldn't take a reminder for something you haven't experienced yet. So we invite you today to seek Christ. And then when you're ready, when the time comes, when when you've experienced new birth, we invite you to come and take communion. Let's go ahead and stand together. I'm going to pray. And we can respond. (coughs) Jesus, we thank you. The, the opportunity of the new birth. It's not anything that we would do or could do. We can't contribute any more than we did to our first birth. But it's an invitation today, an invitation for all of us to remember our new birth or experience it for the first time. So I thank you for that. Thank you for the joy of that invitation the possibility of that invitation, the hope of that invitation. And I pray as as Christians around the room, prepare and take communion, this meal of the kingdom, looking backwards, looking forwards. May they do it in joy, remembering their new birth and what you've done. Just like a a birth of a child is a joyful celebration, I pray they would take communion in joy.